our friends. It's the Media Beat, number actually 32. I am your host, Oliver Turnbull, but the people that matter uh, are my two friends and colleagues who are going to talk about all things media happening right here and right now. Let us start, as ever, with Maureen Kerr. She is the partner who leads the media practice at the world's oldest management consultancy company. That is Arthur D. Little. Welcome, Maureen. Great to see you. Hi, Oliver. Hello, listeners. Hi, Claire. Indeed. And Claire Tavernier uh, is a friend of Maureen and myself, and she has been in the media industry longer than she cares to mention. But she doesn't look like she's been in media as long as she says she has. So there is some magic there. Uh, She has held a variety of high positions. Please look her up on LinkedIn. She's been a consultant uh, and she's been a commentator. And it is uh, as a commentator uh, that we welcome her to the show. Hello, Claire. Hi, Oliver. Hi, Maureen. Hi, everybody. So we're ready. We're set. And let's go. Um, I always say a packed programme uh, to Ronnie's reference that only British people from uh, of a certain age will, will uh, recognise. So apologies for that. But we have got a lot to get through. So let's get on. So the first thing is um, a deep dive. Now, the deep dives are becoming uh, quite notorious on the media beat and uh, very popular as well. A uh, good, good reason for that, because somehow Claire and Maureen managed to just get the content right between um, uh, much more than surface, but uh, not too much detail that it gets bogged down. So this is how uh, they've come to have a great reputation of doing these um, sort of deep dives on various parts of the media industry. And today we're going to um, focus on a firm that everybody will recognise, uh, but not everybody will know uh, in detail what this organisation does. Um, so uh, it's Disney. So we're going to talk a little bit about Disney. Um, what the background is, where it comes from, what it's all about, things that you might not know about Disney. And then uh, Maureen's going to go into a little bit more of the uh, business of Disney, the facts and figures, the rumours, the potential, well, I won't preempt. So um, we'll start off with uh, you, Claire. Can you give, again, an, another outline of business is another one of your famous uh, talents. Could you just give a little bit of uh, an outline for, obviously everyone's heard of Disney, but um, tell us a little bit more about uh, the Disney Corporation and, um, well, what it's all about. Yes, that should be easy. Do you have a couple of hours? Uh, Well, like I said, you you do this brilliant thing of uh, being able to summarize so brilliantly. So, uh, no, we don't. I will attempt. I will attempt. I will start by a little factoid. Do you know where the name Disney comes from? Oh, well, Uh everyone's going to say, it's it's going to be like QI, isn't it? Someone's going to say Walt, and then they're going to get... Well, obviously, it comes from Walt and Roy Disney, two brothers who founded the Disney Corporations. But actually, it comes from a little town in Normandy, France, called... Isigny. And Hugh and Robert Suard, Comte d'Isigny, Counts of Isigny, left Normandy for England in uh, 1066, which some of you may remember as a date that might be familiar from history lessons. And over many, many years, the, the name d'Isigny became Disney. So there you go. In Isigny, in fact, in the little Normandy village of Isigny, there is a park Walt Disney in honor of one of their most famous distant relatives. So uh, I will leave you with this. No, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about Disney, but that, that was my little factoid. And as you can see the history that, that I thought I would do start in 1066, we're going to now jump quite dramatically to 1923, which is when the company Disney was founded. 
So it's exactly 100 years ago. It's 100 years this year. It, it went public in 1940. So it's been in the, on the stock market for quite a long time. Obviously, everybody knows Disney for animation, and obviously that's where it started. It started with Mickey Mouse. It famously started doing long-form animation with Snow White. And then in 1955, it, it started diversifying quite dramatically with the first Disneyland, which opened in L.A., and there was a lot of panic about it because it was huge investment. Walt Disney actually had to sell his house to fund the park and everybody thought it might not work, but it was an enormous success. And then they extended it and developed it and opened Disney World and then Disneyland in, in other countries. In terms of content, it went through a bit of a slump in the late 70s, early 80s. But then uh, one of its most famous CEO was Michael Eisner, who was CEO and president for 20 years, between 84 and 2005, and really entirely transformed Disney into mostly what it is today. Obviously, completely relaunched the, the animation business. A lot of the big hits from that period were started by him. But in 1996, did a major acquisition, which was ABC. Now, ABC is one of the biggest TV channels in the US. If you're in the UK, you might think ITV, or if you're in France, you might, you might think about TF1. That's, that's how big ABC is, except US size. Uh, but also, ABC had a cable business, and amongst its cable businesses, it owned ESPN, which was the largest sports cable channel. Again, you've probably heard of ESPN, but otherwise things Sky Sports. Uh, so suddenly, here's an animation company that has a, a huge parks business, plus now a linear channel business and a cable channel business. It then continued on to make some major acquisitions, but more in terms of content. And the two perhaps most famous ones were when they bought Marvel, obviously superheroes, in 2009, and then Lucasfilm, which you will know through Star Wars in 2012. And that's why all of the Marvel and Star Wars movies are on Disney+. On Disney Plus. And then in 2019, it bought 21st Century Fox and built another, and added another huge slate of uh, adult in the sense of grown-up content to to its uh, to its library, so that's that's the sort of corporate history of Disney. Started very much in animation and now is a very large business, running 12-month revenues about 90 billion dollars, which is, if you think about it, about the same size as Apple. It's about two and a half times Netflix. It's about a third of Google. So it's not like. Google big, but it is Apple big, uh, which is pretty big these days, uh, especially in media. Uh, and But it's interesting when you think about this 90 million, because actually a third of this is theme parks. So the theme parks represent a third of these, of these uh, annual revenues. Consumer products, so Disney stores and where you can buy in it, which people are also very familiar with, it's actually quite small because mostly it's licenses. So they don't see the, the, the gross revenues. They only see the license fee, but it's very profitable because it all goes down to the bottom line, or most of it. And then the, and another third of the, of the revenues is going to be your ESPN, ABC, the channels, Disney channels in many countries. And that's sort of rel relatively profitable too. And then the rest of it, the other third, that's that's the streaming business. And that is not profitable at the moment. Moment. That's that's the place where they're spending a lot of time and investment in content, in marketing, in acquisition of customers, and not quite seeing the results, which is one of the reasons why the market is a little bit worried about it, because they're not linear is profitable, but not growing. Parks, it's always been a good business for them, but there's there's some some concerns about how sustainable it is, and streaming has not paid off despite 
very, very major investments. It had, after Michael Eisner, it had a couple of CEOs. Then it had Bob Iger, which was very, we've talked about uh, him a lot on the on the podcast. Bob Iger then left, retired, and then came back uh, like the messiah to try and save Disney. And now he's, he's at the helm once again and trying to figure out what to do with it. And I think that's it. That's my very, very quick whistle, sport, whistle stop tour of Disney. Does that make sense? It had everything. It had um, things you didn't know, surprises, uh, acquisitions, big characters, and all done in a very short time. Claire, you excel yourself. I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> Loads of things I didn't know about Disney. Um, gosh, I remember going to Disneyland in '79. It was like, oh my word, this is paradise. Um, Maureen, uh, can you please, for us, uh, for the listeners, just build on that in terms of uh, from a business angle and, and what things are happening these days? Any any rumours, uh, anything that they're trying to do to redress the problematic parts of their business? I'd, I'd love to hear from you, Maureen. Yeah, no, and uh, that was just super history. I didn't know about that factoid. I was trying desperately to figure out. You oh, know, French people per- say everything's pers- from France. They say yeah, everything is There you go. <laughs> Proved it. It is. Okay. I love that. I love that whistle uh, stop tour. Uh, that was brilliant. Well, well, one thing I would add, and I, I, I don't think we should uh, beat up uh, Disney for its uh, direct-to-consumer efforts, particularly on the streaming side. Not, 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 not many players are um, actually turning a profit in this area, but nonetheless... I mean, it took Netflix a good while to reach profitability, I would say, probably 10 years, <laughs> um, its new business model. But um, but that, 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 that said, it's still on the face of it and for its institutional investors and for people who've got just simply stocks and stocks and shares in Disney. Um, you know, it is it is slightly problematic uh, when we are seeing quite significant losses around the direct to consumer. Uh, they were able to. Um, reduce uh, the losses by a couple of uh, hundred million. So I think they were forecasting something like, you know, uh, 700 million, they're down to about 500 million. Um, so uh, yeah, big, big numbers though, still in terms of uh, losses, they truly do need to ensure that their strategy to execute a streaming um, service uh, is going to pay off and pay off soon. That's their problem because I think it is probably hampering their their, their stock price. Um, but back to, you know, building on that, what's going on? They've been in the news, um, mostly from a from a from an acquisitions point of view, actually. So while Bob Iger is trying desperately to turn this business around and he's brought in some some um, advisors, some ex Disney, um, in fact, investment type individuals, um, as we spoke about on our last uh, podcast, um, they are being, let's say, courted by or at least being assessed from an outside in at this stage uh, with some serious intentions by some, the private equity community. Um, as as Claire's laid out for you, the different types of uh, uh, business segments is quite diverse. Um, the heterogeneity of the business used to be its strength um, because it operated what was called a sort of, you know, this sort of flywheel of exploitation around IP that they created. And of course, bringing in um, Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilms was uh, was essential for them to feed their theme parks, their films and TV, their merchandising and so on. Um, that's seeing um, that's seeing a, a few cracks 
um, it's not performing well in all of those areas, um, and particularly on the film side, it's not it's not got good uh, got good ratings for for quite a few of the the releases that they have um, put out into the theaters or even in Disney Plus in the last couple of years. So 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 Iger is is in a catch twenty two situation here where he desperately needs to um, not only take care of the core business but also try desperately to. Uh, you know, look at the uh, streaming service, the new service for him, and in particular Disney Plus, or, or indeed even ESPN. So, and um, and the only way he's handled that so far is through a whole slew of price increases. We're seeing that not only with Disney but with other streaming services. And increasing pricing may look great from a profit and loss perspective because you're increasing the average revenue per user. But the big question there is, as uh, Claire and I will know, um, and sort of monitoring um, some of the other uh, major players is, uh, is that sustainable? Um, you know, it's a very competitive landscape. It's, um, they're gonna compete with the likes of, you know, Netflix who's keeping its prices okay, still, um, pretty reasonable, even though they've seen a couple of um, uh, price increases. Disney is pushing through internationally um, a range of between 20 and upper 20 percent. So that's uh, that, 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 that may not necessarily be sustainable in this sort of very tough economic time. So we may start to see churn, even though we know um, that, that their churn is probably medium quarter with the others, um, you know, and, and they've, they've got a very loyal customer base in Disney Plus. Um, at those prices, it might be challenging for them. So anyway, this has triggered a whole um, a bunch of individuals seriously thinking about could Disney benefit from a breakup? Could Disney be uh, taken private by private equity? Uh, Blackstone seems to think so. They're, they're coming in and looking at the business. Um, so that's a kind of an interesting rumor. If they go down, break up, break up the business, um, as we know, and we've spoken about this before, um, ESPN was put on the market a couple of years ago and they got a lot of interest uh, and yet uh, because of that interest they decided to keep it and bring it back in-house and said no if it's that worth that much it's valuable to us so they took it off the market so it'd be really interesting to see if there would be potentially interested parties for parts of the business of, of Disney I mean we can see some very likely buyers uh, by theme park film and tv by sports director of consumer products. So um, I think this could be a real event in the next year or two. Of course, they just need things to settle down with respect to the writer's strike and business on a sort of more stable footing. Um, but but yeah, I think I think um, Apple, Apple may be a potential bidder buyer, not only of perhaps the whole where they can clearly write a check. They've never wanted to they've missed out on loads of processes they've never been interested in buying a media company um, but that said if you look quite closely at what they're doing on the sports side on apple tv this might be a lovely opportunity for them to to bring in and merge um, espn so there's a lot of stuff out there food for thought uh, some real action some 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 people investing time in in running a slide all over the business, the business dynamics, and which areas of of the, the, the Bertelsmann's divisions could be of, of value to various parties. But um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's going to be one to watch in the next uh, in the next six six months uh, and beyond. So um, yeah, interesting. Yes, and it would be ironic if Bob Iger, who had come back to save Disney, ended up being the one breaking it up. 
which would not probably be the, the way he would want his legacy to remain. But it's interesting what they're doing with the streaming prices because they're seeing churn. They've seen a lot of churn in India because they used to offer sports content in India and they stopped that contract. And so they've lost a lot of subscribers in India, but have clearly made the decision that those were... Uh, you know, subscribers that were individually didn't bring enough money to be valuable because the prices were obviously lower. And instead, they're focusing on high value or high ARPU customers in, in countries like the UK and the US, knowing they may not get as many, but each individual customer will be much more profitable. So it's it's a valid strategy if they can make it work and if they can keep their content cost under control, which is the other thing that they haven't done. And I think one of the things that Bob Iger is looking at quite carefully is how much really do you need to spend on content in order to minimize churn and maximize profitability? It's an interesting uh, math- mathematical exercise. I don't really know the answer, but that's that's I'm sure that's one he's looking at at the moment. Uh, the answer yeah. is AI and re- what they call reinforcement learning, I think, which is gameplay and, and optimization. Sorry, Maureen, you were going to jump in. Oh, no, I was about to say... Um, uh, you know, it, it, it would definitely be sad. It would be sad if Bob Iger's legacy is that it, it does break it up. However, if it returns significant value to its shareholders, then that's a job well done, especially if he, it's under his control as, as opposed to others. So so it's a kind of a neat way to and a neat finale to finish his, uh, finish his tenure, I think. And And as we know, the two advisors he's brought in uh, are now, let's say that let's not call them operators. They're actually investment uh, bankers now. So it could be the reason why they were both of them brought in not to be successors, but to advise on, on the breakup. But we'll, we'll see. It sounds like it's Watch a lot of space. Yes, indeed. Yeah. A story of the run and run. Thank you very much. Great summary. Brilliant. You're on uh, blistering form uh, this afternoon. A great summary and a, a great sort of positioning, a business positioning. And also a few potential predictions as well, which we could come back to in our ledger of predictions that we have, uh, that we'll come back to when those predictions turn out to be true, of course, obviously. But we've uh, done pretty well so far. Thanks very much on that. I understand a lot about more, uh, a lot more about uh, Disney uh, and it's something that we'll dive into a lot um in future episodes i'm sure but now it is time to move on to in the news okay here we go and the first one ah yes brilliant uh the women's world cup and not just because of how successful the english team were the lionesses were but it was just a marvelous spectacle i was absolutely glued transfixed I'm an absolute, um, an absolute gaga for the Lionesses. So sad for days that they didn't get over the final hurdle. But Spain were the champions, you have to say. Uh, great final, great tournament, uh, and uh, a great media event. But there's also a story behind that, Claire, as well, about Dazone, spelled D-A-Z-Z, uh, D-A-Z-N, Dazone, and uh, their acquisition of a women's sports platform or something. What's the story there, Claire? Yes, well, I'm going to start with a little soapbox moment, and I'm going to first thank you, Oliver, for not starting your praise of women's football by as a father of daughters, as half <laughs> single politician yeah. of this oh, country, God, yes. in, in the head of the FA. As a man who knows women, I'm very excited that, that they can play football. Yeah, because yeah, I have a mother, 
I uh, have a mother and yeah. a couple of aunts. That's right. Yeah. And neighbors, and you know, sometimes I meet <laughs> yes. some in the streets. I mean, you know, I see them on TV as well. Anyway, that was really annoying. I thought we'd moved past that, but no, we had Rishi, we had Prince William. We thought it was the appropriate, you know, the appropriate moment to will out his daughter, not the sons, just the daughter. Uh, even our friend Kia Starmer did, did something like that. I just thought it was extremely um, misplaced. That being said, the the and even though the French team did not as well as the English team and got uh, kicked out by Australia, but also played very well, it was a really good event. But it also spotlighted, of course, the growing interest in in women women's football or women's soccer. And the zone is building on that by acquiring a number of uh, US-based women's football platforms or specifically one called AT, AT, ATA, ATA, probably ATA, ATA football. They've, they've already got a few, uh, a few women. And the idea is those are those platforms which are streamed uh, as, as a fast channel, most of them. So if they're, uh, we've talked about those before, they, they look like a TV channel, but they're actually going through streaming and they're funded by advertising are increasingly popular and focus exclusively on women on women's sports. And it's absolutely a growing area. And I think a, a good investment by the zone who's been slowly building its, its library of, of, I would say, B level rights that are sort of going up, to, up in value. So quite smart, not going for the really big expensive ones but just below but it sparked a bit of a controversy should women's sports be given their own private platform is that a way to segregate them further should they be put with the men so that they get to show be shown to a much larger audience i personally think uh, a space where they can grow and flourish and get their own advertising revenue is the right way to go but uh i don't know what do you think maureen yeah, I, I think I think it'd be kind of nice just to um, give them a bit of space, give them to to to, to, to flourish. Um, you know, I, I I umpire and coach both uh, men and women and mixed, uh, but basketball, and netball, and it's kind of nice sometimes just to keep the two genders separate, let their let them play at their levels, and then bring them together. And um, and we actually interestingly mix it so that. No, no one dominates um, the other, and it, it's kind of refreshing uh, to see. I wouldn't say it's it's in any way accelerated. It's in any way, you know, um, a greater performance because guess what? The men are in playing with the women. No, it's a it's a it is a, a good team level with uh, complementary skills and abilities and strength and stamina uh, that brings the the game you know, to an interesting point. So um, I know I'd like, I'd like let, let, let's see how, how, how things perform. Look, women's tennis and men's tennis have been kept separate for a while. Um, you know, uh, you can see the level really of women increasing in terms of, you know, stamina and, and they'll be given a chance to play five setters when they only play three at some point in time. Um, the, the players are not screaming and shouting for it to be a five-setter, not at this, this stage. I think the women will know when they want to, you know, have a different platform, a different audience. But yeah, let, let's give it to them to start with and see, because it's, uh, you know, it's relatively new. There was a really interesting article in The Economist explaining that if, if we took into uh, – explaining that women's football is actually much harder to play for women because – anatomically they're smaller the legs are smaller on average etc that if we had to play 
like for like men's football and women's football, the pitch would be smaller and the ball would be smaller and the goal would be uh, slightly smaller as well, just to make it all completely comparable. So what they're playing is the equivalent of the men playing on a much larger pitch with a much larger ball. It's, it's, a, hard, it's a harder sport. So that's also interesting to think about what, what equality and equity mean. Anyway, an interesting story, but certainly great success for the World Cup, for the Women's World Cup, and really good to see so many teams do really well. Uh, and the skill, I mean, I love football and uh, the, the skill levels are incomparable to what they were um, uh, a few years ago in the excitement. And you're right about the size of the pitch, actually. I completely agree. I used to manage a boys football team and it was boys and girls playing together until about the age of 12. And then there's a sort of separation in, in strength and size. And we used to go up from small to bigger and bigger pitches and we went onto the main pitches <laughs> at about uh, the under 14 level. The goal looked ridiculous and the pitch looked ridiculous. It looked like it was village football. Um, so I think there's a real point there. Anyway, here's to the Lionesses. And um, uh, yeah, I do have a daughter, but she absolutely loathes football with a massive passion because her mum is so into it and her dad is so into it. Uh, let's move on. Um, oh, Maureen, you have a story. Uh, Twitter. What the devil has been going? Oh, can we call it Twitter? Or do they have to be called X now? X. Okay. X. So what's happening? I think what you say now is whenever you see the letter X... It will have open parentheses, formerly Twitter, close parentheses, because no one knows what X is. <laughs> it could yeah. be anything. Um, and I and I saw X that related to something completely different the other day, and I thought it was Twitter. So uh, yeah, so they're keeping the parentheses at the moment. So um, anyway, I think I think um, there are two things. I think they're trying all different sort of business models now, as we know. And one of them is they're going to introduce uh, video sales. Um, so the, uh, and I think that's that's going to manifest itself in terms of I think Tucker Carlson went on air last night interviewing Donald Trump, um, and I, I haven't seen that yet, so I'm I'm waiting to to, to take a look at that after work today, um, and that should be should be kind of interesting. But um, the one thing that's kind of and maybe Claire can talk a little bit more about uh, the, the the proposition there, but I, I I'm still looking at and watching Linda. I know we've been keeping an eye on her and how um, I was a bit more sceptical as to whether it was a right choice of job to take as a CEO of, 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 of working, let's say, alongside or underneath or in a, def in a different, you know, in a different, uh, different planet to Elon Musk trying to operate the business uh, that is X. I think everything she's trying to do and it's, it's really showing now and there's a whole slew of journalists who've been catching very strategic points she's making, all the tactics, all the, the great things she's trying to do with uh, selling the platform as, a, as an advertising platform of choice, uh, all being undermined or contradicted by, by Elon. There's so many of them <laughs> that are being cited now that it, it's becoming quite ridiculous and probably laughable, which is a bit unfair, actually, because, you know, she's got an excellent reputation. Um, uh, she's, she's loved by the advertising community. And now she's got this inventory to sell against, and um, she's she's not been given the opportunity to do that. So 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 it's more of a it's more of a oh my god, you know, we don't know where they're going in what direction. I'm advising people that I wouldn't place any of your advertising dollars on on a destable platform like X. Um, but 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 let's see, let's see. So that's that's I guess should be in a sort of rumor rumor side of things, but. Certainly, the journalists are, are, are creating this long list of what not to believe 
that Linda says, you know, so because it, it can't just it can't be actionable or it's being contradicted by by Elon Musk. So it's a sad thing, Claire, isn't it? It is sad. It's yeah, it's a bit of a mess. I mean, it's it, I think I don't know. I'm not entirely sure how uh, exactly how much she's aware of any of it. As you say, she had definitely had a great reputation in the business. Uh, I it may just be incredibly chaotic inside Twitter. It probably is, uh, but the problem is in this case you try to avoid announcing too many things that get immediately uh, turned around. So I, I don't know. It's it's in, very hard to see the strategic direction at the moment. I have to say, uh, among so many uh, completely contradictory announces all the time. But apparently they're doing video calls now. This is a new announcement that's come out that uh, they were going to offer video calls just when people are stopping doing video calls. So that's probably a good good strategy as well. Do you think there's a, a significant cohort who, who want poor Linda to fail? It, it almost seems like um, put them up and knock them down, especially when especially when they're a, a woman. Did you, do you think there's an element of that or or is it just any any type of success people like throwing rocks at? I don't think there is much to be throwing rocks at at the moment. I think it was always going to be a hard role. I think if she fails, there will be those who say it's because she was a woman when those words would not be uttered if she was a man. Uh, and uh, I think, yeah, that's that's how I would see it. I, I also think it was a very risky role to take, whether she took it or she was put into it because it was felt that as a as a woman it was it would be more acceptable for her to fail. I I could not uh, I don't know, but yes, I think um, she has been put in an impossible position. That much is very clear, but it's also not very clear that she wouldn't have known that. I mean, you know, this can't be a huge surprise for her. You know, yeah. she she knew about Elon before she took the job. <laughs> well, that's right. It must have been a risk, whatever she thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on. So the the next story is uh, Claire. So it's it's the, the headline is Gaffer against the world, and, and by Gaffer, I guess you mean Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, uh, versus the world. In what capacity is uh, is is yeah, Gaffer versus was, the world? Uh... This was a little bit of a uh, catch-all category uh, for two stories, really. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't quite know how to link, so I just put that. Uh, there's, there's been a, a big story running around around YouTube advertising and the lack of transparency. And a company called Ad Adalytics did some research around how they, what they claim they serve in terms of ads and what actually happens. And the results are quite different. Uh, in there are some quite bad things like 75% of ads are never seen, but also some seriously worrying things like, you know, this ad that was specifically tagged not for children is being served against children's content. And this is something that YouTube says they would never do. Now, you know, we're this is still under investigation. YouTube has said, no, 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 that's absolutely not true. But it seems pretty serious and advertisers, and, and YouTube's always been relatively opaque in terms of how its ad business works. And this may be the thing that triggers triggers advertisers to say we're not putting any more money into this until you tell us exactly how it works and we can have proof that the ads are being seen by the people we want them to see so there's there's a bit of backlash facebook has had its own scandals around ad advertising facebook is in another mess of its own making in canada because um Canada has passed a law that says that facebook's not allowed facebook has to share revenues with 
press when it shares uh, links to articles on its platform. That's been a bone of contention with Facebook for many, many years, that it doesn't share profit with the content providers that are on the platform. And Facebook has therefore banned press articles on its Canadian site uh, at the moment where there are some very, very uh, serious wildfires in Canada and, uh, and a lot of the, the, the first rescuers are saying, we need Facebook. This is how we share information to each other and to, and to the population. And they're not letting us share it. And so Justin Trudeau has come out and said, but this is just incredible. They're putting profits. I mean, it's very bad publicity, putting money before, you know, the, the, the poor, poor, um, poor people being threatened by wildfires. It's just, you, you, you just see how this was obviously a mistake. They need to revert to whatever, at least temporarily, but nobody seems to be in a place where they can make that decision. So it's just been going on for a few days now and has generated some really, I think, quite damaging headlines for Facebook. So not a good week for the gaffers, or at least two of the gaffers, I would say. It's kind of weird, though, isn't it? It's like Twitter and, and Facebook. People uh, read about them uh, doing bad things and everything for money. They've got a bad reputation. But you, you're almost sort of trapped. I mean, if, you, if, you're, if your world is looking for uh, tweets and gathering intel from tweets, I mean, uh, you two yourselves, of course, I guess rely on Twitter to get a lot of market intel. You, you sort of can't leave. You're, you're, you're trapped in. And if all your friends are on Facebook, and that's how you show uh, you know, pictures of cocktails on a Friday evening, which seems to be the uh, predominant <laughs> photography of my friends, uh, you, you, you can't get out. If, if you leave, it's like you, you can what start a new platform. Uh, I mean, how are the new platforms doing that uh, were created to uh, respond to Twitter. It's kind of a strange business model they've got in that you're trapped in a way, like being a fan of a football club. But the big question is whether the advertisers will move out. I mean, I think you're right. There's there's a lot of stickiness around the usage, but advertisers could potentially, mm. and they have, alt they have alternatives now. They have other places where people go, like TikTok. So they could say, you know what, we're going to slow down our advertising revenue on Facebook because we'll get this too much negative press. So yes, you're right in terms of usage. And I don't necessarily think those headlines are going to have any impact on usage, but they may eventually have some impact on advertising revenues. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Great story again. So uh, it just remains for me to say, uh, keep a lookout for those new stories. Keep them coming. And that was for this time in the news. And now, of course, what happens next? Yes, that's right. It's the the pod emojis, or it's becoming quite lateral in the in, in how this is being applied by the contestants, Claire and Maureen, uh, to mime little pieces of theatre, some sketches. Sometime it's it's audio. It's uh, it's it's a it's a multi sensory experience. Um, normally, they reach out and see if they can grab some props. I don't think Maureen is in a place where props are readily available. But uh, Claire, look, she's got something. Oh, she's having to really improvise now. She has a glasses case, which she's using as some sort of proto-mouth. And uh, is that nothing is impossible uh, or something like that? With uh, a unicorn. Nothing is not. So that's a unicorn. So we have all sorts of props to go by. It's a sort of fairly sparse set here and uh, a bag of McCoys. Maureen is scraping the barrel uh, where she is at the moment, <laughs> obviously not at home. So, uh, well, let's let's crack on. So lightning fast slash podgemoji slash do a little mime slash make a noise. Uh, is uh, coming up now. We'll start with um, Maureen. Maureen, um, Bob Iger, is he regretful? What's his podmoji? Th 
and that's that's his kind of a smile. No, I I actually think um, as time goes by, he's in a he's in a stronger position now to a bit similar to what I was saying earlier that this could well round out his uh, legacy by, by 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 selling it by selling it on or taking it private um, and or breaking it up. I don't actually think that's a bad ending to his uh, to his tenure um, because I think if he carries on the way it is, it might actually be slightly sour. So I'm a hmm, I think I he's see. got options. I think well, it's a options. sort of a story arc that makes sense uh, if if a movie's ever made, but, but ironically, but maybe oh, by Disney. Oh, there will be a movie. Yeah. So who'd play him? Made, yes, who'd sure. play Bob Iger in the in the oh, movie? It'll be Bo- it'll be Matt Damon. Oh. I have oh. the I have uh, the I think Bob Iger doesn't strike me as somebody who would be wracked by self doubt uh, as a person. So I'm putting the unicorn with the slogan "Nothing is impossible." And if you look underneath, yeah. it says "Mr. Wonderful." Which uh, ah. I suspect uh, summarize. I, I I don't think he. I mean, I'm sure he's spending a lot of time thinking about options, etc. I'm not sure he's regretting. He's probably thinking, "Oh, thank God I came back, sort this mess." Yeah, people just think uh, it's I a project think and George a challenge. Clooney. Oh, yeah. really? Is he that? Is he that hot? George Clooney. Good lord. Yeah, well. Clooney, Matt Damon. Matt Damon uh, might please Aslav. That's left to Clooney's Iger. That could work. Exactly. That could work. I like it. Or Ben Ben Affleck to to, to, to yeah to Damon. Because they're mates. Yeah. Because yeah. Iger and Zaslav though, it sounds like a, a couple of crazy cops. One's close to retirement, and the other one plays by his own rules and is a bit of a maverick. And that Iger well, and Zaslav sounds sounds very Damon Afflecky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. let's uh, stay with you, Claire. Uh, the writers' strike. How do we express that? Ooh, so there were talks of possibly a breakthrough uh, late last week. Uh, I don't think anything immediate has been announced. So I think we're back to square one. I have the sad impression that the studios are playing the clock. They know they're going to have to give in, but they're also saving a lot of money right now. Uh, and everybody's blocked, so it's there's no competitive disadvantage in not producing because nobody's producing, and so they, it's not a bad place for them to be. Sadly, at the moment where they're trying to you know keep as much money as we can, it's a very bad place to be for a lot of other people. All the freelancers. There was the television festival in Edinburgh this week, and there were a lot of panels about about the. the financial crisis that some of the freelance industry for TV and film is, is facing at the moment in the in the UK and in the US, but this was specifically in the UK and, the, and you know, how to get them financial aid because that's how critical it's become. But not only that, it's also all the trickle down effects of people who do special effects, people who do subtitling, people who do audio recordings, all of these different people who may not be on strike themselves, just have no work coming through because nothing's being produced. So People may not be entirely aware of how much this, I mean, obviously the people suffering are also the, the writers and the actors on the front line who are not getting work, but there's, there's an incredible sort of uh, snowball effect in the whole industry. And I'm hearing from a lot of people in, in these sort of places, whether it's, you know, whether it's special effects, whether it's subtitling, whether it's all of these industries that depend on the production happening, uh, marketing, uh, you know, events, etc. That they are, they are suffering. They are starting to really feel the feel the the pinch from from that strike. So it, I I think the studios are playing the clock and the streamers are playing the clock. And I think they don't. They're it's a very dangerous game. 
So I don't know. I, I'm going to have go with a sad face, but Modi. Yeah, almost desperate. Yeah, Maureen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll agree with uh, Claire. I've got a downward sort of looking kind oh, of like um, oh, um, uh, sad. sad face, but oh, but the, but the. Um, but, but but Claire's absolutely right. I think I think there's an element of playing the clock. Um, if you think about it, once those uh, the, the the new contract is in place, uh, they'll the studios and the streamers will be looking at all of the profit uh, and loss cases associated with sorry I should say P and L, but cases to do with the productions that will then kick in and then um, be greenlit, or rather even those that have been greenlit, uh, but they'll be under new terms and those two new terms could possibly be more expensive uh, productions and they may actually be switched off. So I think a lot of those decisions will probably be made next year. So I think everyone would want a clean slate for 2023. And then, you know, any productions that can get started or continue in 2023 under the old terms will just go ahead. And then there'll be a whole round of renegotiating all of the production deals for 2024. And I think that's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be pretty challenging for the industry as well. So I yeah, agree my, with Claire. It's like, yeah, my poor son works in um, special effects. And so, uh, yeah, I want to see if the downstream effects can affect him. Hopefully not. Okay. Um, something uh, slightly more uh, upbeat, irony. Uh, and uh, specifically the irony uh, of Zoom uh, inviting people or almost forcing people uh, to go back to the office. So uh, Zoom irony. Uh, Maureen, let's stay with you. I was thinking irony, irony, irony. What's, well, what's you both a bit panicked, like I, like I just sort of had some kind of <laughs> just... mental crisis. <laughs> Ironically, we love panic on a, on, a, on a computer screen. So yeah, there you, go. <laughs> you did exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. So, uh, well, good luck to them. Uh, so, so basically, uh, so Zoom are asking everyone to go back into the office to work on Zoom. So uh, um, to be back in the office, yeah, um, which is kind of contradictory and indeed ironic that Zoom accelerated its uh, uh, revenues and business plan during COVID because everyone was out of the office and in their homes on Zoom. So, um, yeah, I think that's what you mean by the irony of Zoom. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they made a statement to get everyone back into the office. But that reminds me, actually, that Zoom is, obviously, it's been used during COVID for a work from home, but that's, you know, originally it was a communication method. It wasn't built to allow people to work oh. from home. So, it's a, you know, it's become... This sort of yeah. symbolism of work from home. I first used Zoom when I was working a lot with countries in Africa, which had very bad bandwidth. And because when it was created, it was the only video call system where you could really talk to people, even if they had really bad broadband connections. And so when we were dealing with countries like Rwanda and Malawi, Zoom was a much more stable platform than than any of the others that were there. And that was what it was brilliant at originally. So. Uh, I think maybe they're, they're being slightly unfairly punished for having become the, the poster child of, yeah. of, uh, of video calls. But I do see people getting so fed up with video calls and wanting more face-to-face. We're seeing events coming back. Which it's an interesting dynamic. I think we're going to see a, a backlash and then it will come back to something that sort of feels about right in the middle. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's nothing like uh, being face to face. Yeah, and or mobile telephone calls. Mm. I'm having more of those uh, calls rather than jumping on on, on Zoom. Um, even 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 the interaction over mobile seems to be mm. better and less stilted than 
over video. You know, it's, it's, it's so much better. And if you really want a terrible experience, you can always use Team on your mobile. Teams on your mobile. That uh, truly dreadful. Really... <laughs> Let's not even go there. No. I have a Mac. Whenever I try to uh, open Teams, it takes half an uh, hour. As you well know, because yeah. you always try to talk to me on Teams and it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because it's trying to do so many things. It's such a multifaceted uh, piece of software. Life Size went bust, I noticed as well. So they were the, that was the other competitor to Zoom. Yeah. No, it was nice coming there. Someone said, would you like to go for a cup of tea? And we sat in the sun and had a chat. Aww. It was lovely the other day. And you, you just, it's not very... Not very easy to do that on Zoom. Okay, no, totally agree with what you're you're saying. Um, this one we will stay with Claire. Music specifically, is it recovering? Specifically, AI, universal playing with AI. Uh, so music, Podmoji time. Yeah, music. Uh, I think we're going to go with the. I don't know what's going on, but oh, well, that's that one. one that's coming out again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one where I'm stroking my chin hmm. because uh, it's interesting. Universal is doing deals, I think, with Google to, to try to understand how they can uh, allow AI to use the music of their artists and still have the artists being compensated for it, which obviously is the big problem with music. And so they claim to have found a way to make that happen, which would be brilliant and certainly move things around. Uh, a lot of Positive sound around music, still a lot of worries about AI, but, you know, we've talked about this before. There's definitely um, there's definitely more um, constructive dialogue between Spotify and the music labels than there have been in a long time. So it feels like there's a real willingness to find a business model. Perhaps they're looking at what's happening on the TV side and going, oh, my God, we don't want to do that. And trying to find solutions seems to be the more the, the more positive way to do it. I also met somebody who told me she bought four tickets to four different Taylor Swift concerts next year, Ooh. which makes me think that live events are coming back. That's that's a lot of Taylor Swift, but for, you know, for obsessive her. people. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Sorry. that's my pot moji, the doubtful. Yeah, I but, got it. You know, they're they're, they're not quite sure pot moji. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Not much sure, but thoughtful. Uh, Maureen. Yeah, I'm a little more. I'm a little bit more upbeat. Yeah. I, I, I saw, um, yeah, so, so it looks like a universal is, uh, has, has put out a statement to say they will be working closely with uh, Google. But as, 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 uh, as Claire was saying, um, digital rights management has, has always been at the forefront of, of music and, 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 and other media segments in, in trying to attribute or understand, um, trying to attribute music where to which artists in order then to be compensated. So, so I think it's, it's great that they, they see that as being, something they had to deal with and something that is going to be, you know, is a reality that they don't want any um, uh, digital deep fakes or digital theft here, that they would love the artists to consider AI and work with AI and the labels will want to work with and use AI um, for digital twins or digital voices or cloning and still make money from it and want to make money for it, from it. How they te technically do it is still a challenge. Uh, but I think that the, the efforts that they're, they're publicising, the fact that they want to do this, is a great thing. And I think uh, Mr. Kinsel, he also, Warner, mm -hmm. came out and piggybacked off that and said, actually, yeah, we would like to participate. We're probably going to participate in that too. So I think that's a good thing that they're banding together and sort of um, clearly something for, for Google to, to really sort of shout and you know, jump from the rooftops to say that they're there with their platforms to do it. 
uh, with them. So yeah, smile, my smiley mm. face. I mean, from an engineering mm. perspective, Google have the best engineers, always have done since the search engine came out in the early 2000s. And Shazam, which mm. uh, I don't know who that is owned by, but the uh, the, the efficiency which way Shazam Apple. can recognise, oh, it's Apple, of course, yes, sorry, uh, can recognise a song just from a few notes. It's absolutely incredible. So presumably they'll be able to unpick who owns what with regards to IP. But anyway, okay, uh, quizzical and smiley. I'd, I'd take that. Uh, uh, they sound like two of the dwarfs that didn't quite make it to the final final cut. Grumpy, sneezy, quizzical and never mind. Uh, the next thing is Maureen's musical uh, and it's Spotify. Oh, yeah. Spotify AI DJ. Maureen. So, um, I mean, this is, of course, their attempt. So Spotify's attempt to uh, uh, use the application of AI in um, recommending and playing um uh, what we like, how we like it, when we like it. So I think I think I think they've got a long way to go, uh, but I love their endeavours. Uh, you know, sort of this is piggybacking off the whole sort of music, um, music and AI more broadly speaking. But um, I know some folks have not had uh, a good consumer experience, uh, and whether or not it truly is AI. And I know Claire's been roaming the countryside of France. Um, and I, I'm sure, Claire, you've got uh, some some interesting reactions to whether or not this works in reality or not works in reality. <laughs> so, no, um, I'm, my, I'm, yeah. not happy. I'm not happy with the Spotify AI DJ. I'm going with new, new, new. Oh, noise. Another great good one. Did not one. work for me at all. I was roaming the countryside of France and my husband, Mr. Tavernier, was driving. And so I thought I'd put the AI DJ to try and put music on. And it's, I think it's supposed to look at all the things I listen on Spotify and magically work out what I want to listen to right now. But my taste is rather eclectic, being a mixture of French pop, classical music, you know, 80s and 90s, <laughs> synth pop, some oldies, etc. And that seems to completely thwart the engine, which I can't believe must be is is that difficult. And so it reverted to Leonard Cohen and played like 45 minutes of that with some, you know, Johnny Cash and was like, okay, I like this. None of this is bad, but I this is such a small portion of the stuff that I listen to that it doesn't quite work. And so at some point I stopped and I started creating my own playlist. And my husband said, Oh, it's become really much better the DJ. I'm like, no, no, now I'm choosing this. So as a conclusion, I'm a better DJ than the AI DJ. So using flesh intelligence, using well, carbon-based intelligence. Yes, it does. Well, as we, I was human disappointed. Yeah. yeah, human intervention. I still believe human intervention. I think you should tell everyone about this story because people shouldn't fear. There's a lot of hype out there that that the AI is going to displace humans. You know, but look. It's it's not. You still need human intervention, as Claire has shown in the Tavernier uh, supercar. Mm. I don't know which uh, experiment. Uh, supercar well, experiment. Well, it's a Peugeot, so, obviously. Oh, of course, it's a Peugeot. <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> I thought it was either a Renault or a Peugeot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's a very limited choice there. But anyway, that's what we talk about. We maybe talk that's about, why it didn't uh, work. We talk about sort of yeah. augmented decision making, don't we, in uh, Arthur yeah, Little, exactly. uh, which is which is all about that, making yeah. smart people help smart people make smart decisions, something like that. Uh, but enough of the advert. Let's get on to oh, last one. Last one. Let me start with Maureen. Um, so this is uh, Podmoji, the Messi effect, uh, as in Lionel Messi, the uh, renowned Argentinian footballer uh, and Apple TV. 
Yeah, yeah. So a big smile on my face. Yeah, here again. So I've been smiling a lot now. Um, yeah. uh, so 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 they've so, so Apple TV. People always forget about Apple TV. Uh, and Apple TV. I was looking up the stats. They've got the lowest churn, um, and they never sort of you know promote the fact that that they've got the lowest churn. Plus also they didn't really sort of shout and scream about their product or their product offering or their videos. They're, they're very, they're very modest and very shy about, uh, about their efforts in the, in the video, on the video side of things. Um, and, and as we all know, they're sort of slyly, slowly investing in sports and recognize sports is probably a way to, uh, for customer acquisitions onto their platform. Um, and the Lionel Messi effect, as we're calling it, is, uh, the fact that, um, as we know, Lionel Messi has uh, moved across to Miami um, and they have done two things. One is, uh, as we know, Apple have got the rights to the uh, the major sort of Super League sports uh, in the US. Uh, they have uh, created some docu-series or documentaries around um, some of the sports figures and in particular Lionel Messi. So there's this, there's this docu-series that shows him joining uh, the Miami League. And interestingly, they've just been able to attract so many subscribers to the platform, Apple TV, to watch this. So so if you think about uh, Netflix's Drive to Survive, and you've got Breakpoint as well, based on tennis. So we've got Formula One, tennis. Now we're moving into football. And that is a really interesting dual strategy of um, uh, leveraging the rights position, but leveraging also the content position that they're creating. So I think this is a really interesting uh, way about uh, doing these things to attract subscribers um, personally. So I'm a smiley again for this. Another smile. Excellent. Claire? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a different strategy on sports and uh, as you say, slightly under the radar. I'm a big fan of Apple TV. I actually like most of their content. They've gone, they haven't done the very, very large content investments that others have, but they've bet on some solid uh, talent and also invested on new talent, uh, and I think they've made some good choices. So I, I think I would, I would like to see how this evolves. I mean, yeah, I, it'll be interesting. I, the problem is in the Venn diagram of sports fans and current Apple TV subscribers. I don't know what the overlap looks like, and I don't know if they are going to increase their subscriber base because of it. But they, but they have, as, as Maureen said, the, the messy effect has brought, has brought in a lot of new subscribers. So we shall see. Let's keep keep a watch on it. The pencil. I'm show my watch. Oh. Keep a watch on Thank it. I think that works. That's yeah, that's nice. And Apple Watch today. as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah. on Brilliant. Grand. Oh, I thought Excellent. you thought of that deliberately. I thought you were. No, not at all. Oh, okay. Well, let's just, we'll cut that out and it'll just look like you're brilliant, which of course you are. Um, okay, that was the last one. What a fabulous episode. Thank you again. We filled the time. I, I don't know. I don't know how we do it. Um, I know why. It's because you know lots of stuff and uh, you want to share it. So um, we are there. We're at the end of uh, episode 32, goodness me. So it only remains for me to say goodbye to Claire. Bye, Claire. And also, bye Maureen and see you soon. Bye Oliver, see you soon. And we'll see all of our lovely listeners on the next episode the next time. Until then, goodbye. (laughs) 